Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast series, and I'm really pleased today to have with me Dawn Ray, who is a gestalt uh, psychotherapist. And Dawn and I first met at the Professional Speakers Association in the East Midlands a few months back now, and um, we've been having a a number of interesting chats since then, and I thought Dawn would make a really fascinating guest for the series. So as I said, Dawn is a gestalt psychotherapist, qualified now, and co-founder of the Listening Collective. And the Listening Collective, where Dawn will tell us more about this in a moment, provides coaching with a difference, the difference being that the coaches are trained psychotherapists. Before this, Dawn spent the first 30 years of her career in various operational roles in financial services. Uh, But now she's got a a whole new exciting path ahead of her. And um, Dawn believes that organisations grow and change when their employees can grow and change. So welcome, Dawn. Hello. Good to have you with us. So, Dawn, just give people who are listening to the episode a little bit of a flavour then of uh, your journey and, and where and, and how you've arrived at where you are now, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's probably why you and I have had some interesting chats. So, like you say, I've had 30 years of working in operational roles in financial services, a bit of time in training and development, a um, bit of time working in kind of creative project development, that kind of thing. And what linked them all was people. Like, like I've always been fascinated by as a leader and a manager about the people within my team, so them individually and how they are as a team. And I remember saying to my HR partner once, I'm fascinated by what happens in between people. It's the in-betweens where I think business happens. Um, And when I left Capital One in 2018... I'd set myself up to do a an organisational psychology degree um, because of that kind of people in business thing and what happens in between people. And I started to look at the course and I've even got the, the textbook they gave me here. And I realised the thing that was keeping me away from the psychology was the ology part. So okay. Think, like the, the thing that I really loved to do wasn't studying about people, it was being with people. Um, okay. So I had... A bit of therapy myself at the time for, for reasons we can talk about over a pint. And, um, <laughs> and, and it was my therapist. It was like, do you realise that you're naturally a gestalt psychotherapist? I went, I don't even know what you're talking about. Cause he, <laughs> and then um, I started to look into it. I was like, that, that's when I realised this ology thing was not me. It was the, it's being with people that I like to do. And so a friend of a friend who is a psychotherapist, because there's hundreds of different types you can study, said, have a read of them all. And the one that leaps off the page and says, this is how I see the world, do that. So I, off I went. I'm, I'm, I'm a good girl. I started reading up about them all. And Gestalt just went, yeah, this is this is how I see the world. This is This is me. This is what I've been doing in my job as a leader for a lot of years and never really had the language for it or never had the words for it. So hey, no, brilliant. Yeah, so that's me. That's why. So I started the course thinking it'd be an interesting thing to do alongside my job, which I had a different role at the time. And I said to everybody who asks me, and I don't even say it contritely, um, it has literally changed my life. Hey, no, brilliant. When did you start a study centre on? 2018. 2018, yeah, yeah. So I'm not actually qualified, probably should say that. I'm trained, fully trained, 
and I'm currently working towards my uh, UKCP qualification. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. And all my hey, clients nice. are aware of that, yeah. Yeah, no, excellent, exciting times. And I know you were saying to me, really, you, you've been so pleased about the sort of pace at which things are starting to move in terms of being able to yeah. work with all this in a practical sense. So, yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you for the background. I think people will find that really interesting to see why you chose that path and and we'll we'll delve into that further and um and i guess what it is about you that sort of led you that way so yeah interesting that you as i mentioned at the beginning the listening collective uh, there is this you know concept of providing coaching with a difference but you know trained psychotherapists so how do you think that the therapeutical approach that you sort of build and work with um, can help leaders and other people within organisations? Yeah. So because everything is interconnected and not separate is a, is a starting point of what I do, I think it helps leaders because we can work on multiple levels and, and at depth because you bring yourself to everything. So even if you keep your work and your home life separate. You still bring you and how you've been shaped and how you view the world and how you've experienced the world and all of the stuff that you you are that makes Tony Tony. You you bring that to every situation. Yeah. So as it when we when we're coaching leaders, we start from that point of Gestalt. Literally, well, it doesn't have a literal definition, but it kind of means whole. Yeah. So we, we, whole as in you are a whole human being, but whole as in you know when you're at work, you're part of your leadership team, you're part of your uh, operational team, like you're part of something bigger than you. And so it's working from a how you approach the situation, what is going on in the situation, what might be happening in the in-betweens with other people. But we work from that, where might people need insights or supports or understanding of how they are and the word we use a lot is navigating how they might be navigating some of those situations and sometimes there's surprises in what's happening and the results people are getting but we kind of work from that everything is connected perspective Um, and so we kind of work more holistically would be the word although that gets a bit overused yeah no but i like that as well and i I guess when i Come across uh, psychology in the past and that, that term as well the the term that always comes to my mind as well doing i don't know what your thoughts on this one is that the um the sum is greater than the parts as well there's that there's that feeling of uh, as you say when you bring the whole person if you try and identify or analyze elements of that you don't get the anything like the complete picture because you need to have all of that integrated yeah. as a whole and so yeah yeah like that well, a question for you then, I'm going off a, a slight tangent, and we're both going to allow ourselves to do that today, aren't we, Dawn? Um, is, <laughs> you, when you start using the word therapy and therapeutical approaches, do you sense resistance from some leaders and some people in, in organisations? And, and why yeah. do you think that is then? <laughs> so why do you think that is? is interesting. So, yes, we do. Um and we deliberately don't call it therapy because it's not it's not therapy that we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we call it coaching by therapists, and we have a model where we have a like a nice way to describe it as like an iceberg. 
So you come in yep. with the problem or the situation or the thing you want coaching with. And if you want to go deeper, you can, and then we'll come out the other side. But it's always kind of the container for that work is is your organisational setting. Um, some people really like the approach and really respond to how we work. And so we would, you know, consciously and um, authentically say, well, this we're working in a therapeutic way. And other people resist it massively because it still has a stigma. Yeah. Now, ther- therapy, I don't know what your experience is, but therapy is because something's broken or or stuck or I'm wrong or, you know, I have to be mentally unwell to have therapy. That's another misconception, I think. Um, and other people struggle, but I'm all right kind of attitude sometimes, not in a... Um, othering kind of a way but in a there's still a stigma like there must be something wrong with me if I'm in therapy yeah no I get that totally I mean I had some CBT in 2007 when I had got problems and difficulties Um, but then I did have some therapeutical support a few years back where I wouldn't say so much they were all, all battling with our own internal challenges and problems, aren't we? Oh, yeah. but, but I wouldn't have said that I um, I went to that from a, a need of trying to be fixed or anything. I actually just want to, uh, I guess, find have somebody to talk things through and have some different ways to process certain elements of life and whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I, I mean, I like, I think, the, I think, again, maybe this is a superficial view, but I... I've always got that view that Americans are a little bit more forward thinking about the use of um, therapy, counselling, and also in sport. I mean, it's been really yep. interesting with the um, the cricket, the Ashes recently, where um, they've had, I think they have a trained clinical therapist working with a group of psychologists with the team and all that kind of thing. So yeah. that's good to see that stigma moving away in the sporting industry, um, if yeah. not so much in business, I guess. I get really fascinated by, like in sport, it makes sense. But how we approach something, how we feel about something, how we've been shaped to see the world affects how we perform on a cricket pitch or a rugby pitch or whatever. And it happens at work. We see it all the time. Like the interconnected thing. You know, so I see a problem, but I see the problem as I see the problem given my experience. And you see the problem completely differently. And, and, understanding myself and why I approach things in that way sometimes is the only thing and let's say the only like that can be the light bulb moment for a lot of people and how they get unstuck but that can often go back to you know childhood school systems you know bullying fathers it can go back but that has shaped somehow how we are and to artificially separate yeah. What's happening in that leadership meeting from how I respond to this sort of is you can't separate them. Yeah, love that. Love and that. for me, therapy is about understanding how I come to be in the world and how I am in the world, and that involves my past as well as my future. Well, that, yeah. and, and of course, in Gestalt, we work. I'm saying, of course, you know, but other people might not. Like the focus in Gestalt is let's work in the now, let's work in what's present here. Yeah. Um, but what's present here is the memories of the past. When you're recalling the past, that's that recollection's happening now. 
or the worry about what might happen if I speak up and say something is happening now. So we kind of take that present moment and how you're navigating the world is a kind of a therapeutic approach, but we do get a lot of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I really love that. And I think, um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a qualified psychologist, but sometimes my, the, the leaders I work with will, um, half jokingly say, you know, I've, I'm ready for my therapy session or whatever. And I'm always careful that it isn't okay. therapy. Um, but, 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 what, but what you were saying as well there, John, about, um, the fact that, you know, conversations like like no doubt with your relationships, my conversations can has to be very trusting, very confidential, and so people can get into all sorts about their personal history and their personal lives. And I think that's I think that's fair game. It's probably one of the things that I have a, a bit more of an issue with about I guess pure business coaching because I think that pure business coaching can often not really uh, want to take in that whole person. Um, and talk more about business strategies. But that person's got, I think, uh, I want to ask you about this in a minute, you know, got potential blockers that if you can do something to release those, then it will make uh, make quite a difference, really. And um, that was one, actually, yes, that was, that was a question I was going to lead on to, actually, Dawn, uh, there. You talked about getting unstuck a moment ago. Um, what, what kind of challenges do you see that leaders, people face in terms of how they get stuck um, and what kind of approaches, I know you've only got so long today, what kind of approaches <laughs> do you use to, to help people get unstuck then? Um, and the, the, everyone's completely different. So what unsticks one person doesn't unstick the next person. Yeah. Probably is the first thing to say. Um, so it's quite nuanced work. Yeah. Often, often it's this in between thing I was talking about. So people will assume that somebody else knows what they're thinking or feeling, or surely they would have understood why I would have been annoyed about that. Well, really, would they? Like an understanding that somebody else sees the world completely differently. Yeah. That comes up quite a lot. Um. Self-worth, self-esteem, people often come with, I'm a people pleaser or imposter syndrome, which are words that that I hate, but we'll get to that, I guess. Um, but like how we feel about ourselves comes up quite a lot. Um, and then, then the work becomes about how we understand ourselves and our worth and, and what supports us to be. You know, be able to be grounded in ourselves and 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 take the agency that we need to succeed in a situation. Yep. Um, some of it comes about power and hierarchy and what I should and shouldn't say or can and can't do, and attitudes to bosses and systems and you know being part of the system. Um, that comes up quite a lot and how I navigate that system and feel about power and where I put myself in that power structure. Um, Again, that's perceptions of power and hierarchy and structure, isn't it, as well? That, yeah. Yeah. So I guess to a degree your work would be 
potentially helping people break through that, push through that. Yeah, or what it is they need to, to get unstuck. Like what it, yeah. some people need support, like they need to realise that they can ask for support, that they can self-support, that they can, you know, what would look like support for them? Because support for me doesn't look like support for you. Yeah. Um. Sometimes it's about enabling them to see the situation in a slightly different way. Like there yeah. isn't, there maybe isn't a different way to see the same thing. Yeah, sure. That's it, that, um, isn't it, I think. Yeah. Sometimes it's about seeing that, well, this is a big one, actually, if I can go on a little soapbox for a minute. There's, there's often, and I think particularly in Western business culture, and my experience would back this up, although I'm only me, um, that we, we we think about individual therapy and individual responsibility, like I have the power to change all of that. And sometimes the work becomes, this isn't about you. It's about the situation. So the situation, the team, the organisation, the dynamic, the culture gets talked about. That is having an effect on me. And I'm having an effect on it. But sometimes it's the interplay between those two things that we end up working on. So sometimes it's someone taking too much responsibility. Like, yeah. I should be able to fix this. Well, actually, you can't because the situation is like this and so actually there's different actions needed and sometimes it's the other way around like you create the culture you create the situation you're affect very very senior people they're having a disproportionate effect on the culture by how they show up and what they do and you know it's being aware of that reciprocity between individual responsibility and what's happening in the environment that we're, we're in and how they interact as well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting. You you talked about how people see things and perceptions and what have you. And I guess um, it was making me think there that I guess the, the challenge for a lot of us individuals, you know, if we're talking about leaders within organisations, you can get into patterns of perceiving, can't you? Uh, and that yeah. you're possibly not aware that you've developed that pattern of seeing things and for you, for you, Dawn, in your work, it's about, and you use the word, word awareness, which I think is a really critical word, because just getting people say, sometimes you have those moments, don't you, where we get people to think or, or realise they've been seeing things in a way for a long time, and it doesn't have to be that way. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes that awareness, it, it's it's like, well, that's just the way it is. And because that awareness has been developed over a lifetime, that's how I see the yeah. world. That's how the world, but therefore that's how the world is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it isn't necessarily. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, okay, brilliant. And so going into, as you said, that I found it interesting when you said, I guess in a way you sort of looked at different approaches and the start was the one that uh, just very quickly felt like the right, route for you um well I'm, i've got to be honest i probably am a little bit more of a um i, I like a combination of and, and, and i think i've looked at gestalt myself and i think it's got incredible amount to offer i guess for me um humanistic psychology was when i did my first when i did my first degree in psychology for the masters and then um so i remember doing the module on social psychology which i thought was just fabulous but it incorporated mm -hmm. with the different things as well um 
And so uh, I guess for me, it's about having different approaches um, for different parts, different situations. I mean, neuroscience is massively growing, hasn't it, during the last sort of 20 to 30 years as well and having a big impact. So, mm-hmm. so, so with specifically with gestalt psychology, how does that inform your approach and your work in a bit more detail then? Particularly for um, people who don't know so much about it. Yeah, so I've mentioned some parts of it already, and it kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Tony. Um, there are some people, and I think I agree with this, that that to some degree, Gestalt is ultimately an integrative therapy because everything is possibly relevant and could be included, including other approaches. Okay, That's kind of how I work. Um, you know, sometimes more directive forms of therapy are needed um but primarily it's the starting point of wholeness of everything being interconnected in somewhere and for me and this is me and my personal practice and kind of what how i've understood gestalt into my practice embracing complexity so i think what drew me to gestalt more than anything was that the, the we oversimplify things. We're looking for simple answers or an answer as if there's a single answer to things um, because everything's very fast and it has to be, you know, sort of bish, bash, bosh. And I kind of like that Gestalt says, slow down, like see the complexity, embrace the complexity. It's more nuanced than that. Let's take some time to breathe into it and understand what's going on before we leap into you know, there must be an answer and it must be this and it must be that. Um, yeah, I, I love I that. Think and that was... psychology informs me in that way. It's that kind of whole approach to, to a person, a situation, a session, whatever it is. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because um, I guess it's that complexity of either human being, but also human-to-human interactions and, and all of yeah. them relationships. And I guess it was, I, I mean, gosh, when I did my when I did my degree in psychology, that would have been in the 90s, late 90s, I think, yeah. Um, it was, and there still, to a degree, continues to be this sort of, um, I guess, debate about how much, of a science psychology is in particular. I mean, neuroscience, I think, in, yeah, probably uh, that big yeah. movement in neuroscience has been yeah. part of a way of addressing some of that. That psychology, the problem with psychology is for me when I was studying it was if you try to control everything as much as possible to have a um, yeah. an objective piece of uh, experimentation, you're taking away the richness of of life yeah. in that situation, which, you know, you've been alluding to, uh, yeah. to, to Dawn, I guess. And how do you feel about that? And then that whole, um, with that, com- as you said, embrace complexity, don't oversimplify. Does that mean that your, would you say your approach in a way is not, uh, quite so scientific as, as some people might strive for? <laughs> it depends what you mean by scientific. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on is therapy a science or a or, or an art, and I think Gestalt therapy in particular is as much an art as it is a science. 
Um, like I personally will work well, you can probably see behind me, work creatively with, you know, materials and because sometimes that's that's a way in. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think there is just so much we don't understand about the human psyche, about the brain, about how we are, you know, as spiritually as as human beings, life, that I think all of them have a place. Like I was reading up something the other day about neuroscience and and um, how our brains work to do with trauma, all completely relevant and integrated into a Gestalt theory of how we might work with that rather than instead of that. Um, I think some of the developmental models in psychology that have been uh, articulated, I think they all have a place. Um, but but I don't think it's a science or an art. I think it's both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're more complex than that. Yeah, no, I get that. And I mean, I think there's, um, you were saying about, the understanding of the human psyche and what have you. And I think uh, there's that whole journey to understand human consciousness that continues, isn't there? And yeah, probably some amazing um, findings, I think, from from that in the next sort of five to ten years. Um, but we we have, like you say, Dawn, I think we have to a degree limited uh, understanding of that, which makes it a little bit harder to talk about yeah. psychology or anything in, in a, as, you know, in terms of a pure science, I guess, really. I'd be interested in your view as well, Tony, because I was listening to a podcast a few months ago and there were, there were some physicists talking about um, like quantum physics and how one day we'll understand everything in the universe, you know, at a molecular level and how things work. And I agree with that. I think, and, and, I kind of see gestalt therapy as a kind of a quantum therapy, like everything is could possibly be relevant. But they ended it, those three of them, and they ended it by saying, but we'll never be able to explain how a human being feels. Yeah, yeah. And I remember running along thinking, I was agreeing with everything they were saying, we will understand the universe at some point, you know, whenever. But there's something about that that you've just said, the human consciousness, the human, what it, how we feel towards another person or another thing that is kind of ungraspable. Yeah. yeah and, and I mean, to use your expression that you've quite early on, that sort of completely unique experience. Yeah. And, and that's where that becomes challenging then, isn't it? Because, um, yeah, it, it is. It is so difficult to really get into that. Um, so yeah, I mean, quantum physics is, and that whole movement is fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think that's, a, I think the, the, the end point is quite a fair one actually about never be able to understand how an actual individual feels. There's possibly too much in there. Um, mm. too, too subjective, but yeah. Okay. As you say, I think you and I could have branch off episodes of uh, <laughs> this podcast and yeah. all other things. Really yes. interviewing me, yeah. oh, no, 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 love it. It's brilliant, really fascinating. Right, let's go off into a slight another topic that you and I have spoken about before, actually. I know you feel that to a degree, 
there's a paradox in uh, in organisations, and that the term psychological safety has become uh, quite prevalent over the last few years. Yeah. If you will know that there is a potential paradox between that um, need for psychological safety, but actual the freedom for individuals with organisations as well. I wonder if you could share a little bit about that, John. What do you mean by freedom? Before I before I answer, because that's the word. Blimey, that's a big yes. question, isn't it? Um, in that sentence, what do you mean by the freedom of individuals in the context of psychological safety? I guess it's um, the well, the the ability for people to be able to act autonomous, autonomously, individually, to have the freedom to impact on their own direction, to make uh, decisions. Uh, their own path to a degree. Yeah, I, I guess all of those kind of things, really. What about you? I mean, when, I, when we use that word freedom, what, what, where do you see that then? Well, for me, thank you for answering, because I wanted to make sure I was kind of in the right place. Um, for me, it becomes about individual freedoms and individual choice and our ability to do what's right for us. And at the same time, holding whether the, and I'm using some quite gestalt terms now, so I'll try not to leave, like to talk rubbish. Um, but, but it, but the safety of that, of whether I feel as an individual, I can have autonomy and see how I need to be and how I need to say it isn't just mine. It's about how the environment supports me to do that. Yeah. And if the environment doesn't support me to do that, then my individual safety and my freedom then get curbed. Yep. So it becomes about the interplay between me as an individual and what's happening in the field, I would call it, but in the in the environment in which I sit at that particular time. So I was, I was talking with somebody about it the other day and they were saying, um, someone was talking about their their pronouns no and whether they are he she they and 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 that other people should give theirs and i'll say well i have a problem with that because my choice to give mine is my choice but asking you to give yours isn't just about you being open with me if the environment didn't support that if you felt for some reason it was unsafe to come out as they and non-binary, then that should also be your choice. Because the, if the environment doesn't support you, then so it's about that's kind of what I was talking about earlier on that often comes up in the sessions. It's that relationship between individual and environment and what what's going on in that situation and person and, and therefore how you navigate that. Because to force somebody to say would be psychologically unsafe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, get that. And that does that makes sense? Yes, it does. And I think it touches on something else that you spoke to me about before, which is um, the creation of boundaries and guardrails um, by, by yeah. leaders within organisations without that moving into a place of feeling like people are being overly controlled. Yeah. So in the situation I've just described... As a leader, I would put 
boundaries and guardrails in. Yeah. So you know, I would I would call it in the meeting and say, let's take that outside because you know this isn't an environment where that is appropriate. But it means as a leader being sensitive to the needs of the people in your team, and then what happens when they're all together, which is kind of right back to the beginning of what we we're talking about. It's what I was always fascinated as a leader. Like I would see that as my role to go like stop. Let's move on put the guardrail up and then take that conversation where it will be safe to have it. If I felt that was the appropriate thing happening in that moment. So there's that kind of, for me, fluidity and flow comes up quite a lot in my work. It's about how do you allow flow and fluidity? Because sometimes the hard guardrail is the right thing to do. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. And I guess it's, I, for, I guess then it becomes what's the driving why for it? Yeah. Um, because, and you've got to be clear on that, haven't you? Um, yes. I mean, for, going back to your thing about boundaries and guardrails, if, if boundaries and guardrails are created um, with a view to holding people's safety as paramount, yeah. uh, over and above potentially collective and individual freedom, yeah. Then that is a, that is the drum. I mean, that doesn't necessarily make it right or wrong, but that. But it makes it. A, so the example I always give is it makes it a safe container. Yeah. But so when I'm working with a therapeutic client, I start at a certain time and I finish at a certain time, and I manage that boundary. Yeah. We have a contract that we both sign to say this is the 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 you know rules of engagement as to how this works, because once those really quite strict things are in place then the container is safe yeah that person to bring themselves bring what's happening brings bring often very difficult things but until that safety container is created that's not a safe place to share what you might bring yeah. to therapy yeah no yeah no i get that and that and that's so like that i i, I think that metaphor Whatever analogy of the safe container is is a, is a great one, John. I really like that, and um, yeah, that, that makes that a lot clearer. Like you know, in... you can turn up here at you know ten o'clock every Wednesday morning, and I'll be here, and it'll always be the same, and that's what you can expect. Then that creates the boundary within which to to open up and and explore. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Let's go on to a topic that. Um, I think you and I could probably have a little bit of fun with. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know we've talked about this before as well. Uh, what about there are always a lot of buzzwords around in all forms oh, yeah. of life, but there's always a lot of buzzwords around in organisational leadership. Um, what are some of your, um, some of the ones that frustrate you the most then, Dawn? <laughs> that you have <laughs> So let's just start with my absolute favourite. Yeah, go on. Empowerment. Okay, so it's not your absolute favourite, it's one that you least like, is it? Or... Yes, I absolutely <laughs> detest that when people use the word empowerment. Okay, interesting. So why that then? Why, why that word? Why does that one go to the top of the pile? Because I think, oh, I'm going to get really deep. I'll try not to. <laughs> Because I think it gets mixed up. It gets bandied around and omits to address sometimes, not all the time, but 
omits to address sometimes what underlines being empowered to do something. So to be empowered to do something assumes a level playing field. That I have access to the same resources that you do, that I have complete autonomy and everything I need to be empowered. Yeah. So that's a massive assumption that comes with power and comes with privilege. It also assumes that I trust you. You know, I empower you, Tony, to go and, you know, edit this podcast and do, you know, wonderful things with it. No, assume I do trust you, but there are situations where you can't empower somebody if you don't also have trust with them. Yeah. Um, there's sometimes almost like it's used as a giving to rather than a reciprocal, you can come back and check in with me thing. Um, like that. Yeah. So I just think, I can see empowerment as a can be a really great thing, but it's a top level word that has a lot of nuance and and meaning underneath it that I think it has to come with in order for empowerment to be truly given. Hey, that's brilliant, Dawn. Yeah, and and for me, listening to you there, it's almost going back a little bit your word container but it's almost creating the right environmental container for empowerment to take place and for people to truly feel like yeah. they've been empowered isn't it yeah uh, because i'm, I'm hearing a lot don't we it's such a good buzzword and engagement's another one and whatever but it's um that that, that idea of empowerment but then you've got a, a really dictatorial leader who wants to be seen to be empowering people but it doesn't necessarily, there isn't that trust that that, that leader will actually to, relinquish it. Yeah, and you have to give the empowerment with other things, with with support, with trust, with knowing you yeah. can come back to me. Like, I'll use myself as a woman as an example, rather than talk about other people who I have no idea what their experience is. To empower me in the workplace, to, I've been in these positions where you know, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to promote you, I'm going to give you this big job, I'm going to you know empower you to go and do what you like it's great and terrifying yeah yeah if that power is being given by normally a white middle-aged middle-class man who's been doing the job for the last 20 years and knows how the system works and you know i'm parodying to make the point but yeah no 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 but, but but then you take you take a you know 30-year-old woman who's who's a superstar and has a lot of potential and just and just give them free reign, that can be a pretty terrifying place without without it also coming with the support, the coming alongside, the how you access resources, you know, that kind of it has to come with stuff. And I mean, there's, there's an obligation. That's what I'm trying to say. There's an obligation on the person empowering, on the yep. leader, to give some of themselves with that empowerment. Yep, like that. And I think it almost goes back to what you were talking about when we were previously speaking about freedom and psychological safety. It's that almost guardrails and support, isn't it? Yes. It again goes back to the right container environment. 
uh, infrastructure, whatever it might be, yeah. that actually allows that to happen in a in a safe in a safe way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, no, I really like that. I think that's. I had um, a client a while back, and he came with. This is very quick. He came with um, wanting to work on his confidence because he was being given feedback in meetings that he didn't speak up enough and wasn't confident enough. And over the course of our work together, what transpired was that he's actually dyslexic and never told anybody at work that he was dyslexic. And his dyslexia doesn't affect him in reading, but his dyslexia affects him in what's called oral recall. So he can't hear somebody and then process what they've said and then come back with a response immediately. That That's like a, not an immediate thing for him. He has to process it, sit with it. So the support that he needed to feel like he could be confident and empowered to take these bigger roles was someone saying, it's all right, Tony, I'll come back to you at the end of the meeting once you've had time to think about that. But he needed to ask for that. Because of my dyslexia, I need some space. And so we worked on what it was going, I mean, it's, what ha- was happening for him that meant he hadn't thought to raise this as a thing he might need to ask for support for but it's these little nuances that happen in these in-betweens that you can't just give empowerment to your point yeah no it's it, it's um well again it's a whole piece isn't it rather than i give empowerment to you it's it, there's there's much more to it than that really yeah. what about um before, before What's one of yours? Sorry, I'm sure. Well, I, 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 I talk about imposter syndrome. Uh, I talk about it because a lot of people relate to them, particularly the last two or three years. Yeah. I'm still really uncomfortable with people going around saying they've got a syndrome. I, I get really uncomfortable with that. Uh, I think that for me, that, that, that expression, um, Basically, it's talking about the human condition. I think everybody has moments where they can feel vulnerable. They might feel that they're going to be found out a little bit. And that can come in parenting, life, relationships, work, or whatever, you know. And I think um, that I think saying to or somebody wanting to label themselves with a syndrome, I get quite frustrated with that. But I also respect the fact. It's a term that a lot of people connect with. And so, um, you know, speaking about that. What about the word engagement? <laughs> <laughs> where are you on that one, Mentor? Uh, where am I on engagement? <laughs> I think it's it's something that's impossible to measure. So I remember getting cross at organisations I worked for previously trying to measure engagement. Like how do you measure engagement? Some of the things we desperately want in life are impossible to measure. True. An, an, an employee, an employee base who wants to be there, give their all, go the extra mile, stay put and not move to a competitor, like. That's intangible. How do I measure? I can't measure it. Yeah, yeah. You feel it. We all know it when it's there. But we can't measure it. I think it's one of those words that is a catch-all for lots of other things. What's it like to work here? Yeah, no, okay, yeah. 
do I enjoy coming to work? Yeah. Like, we're often asked, aren't we, would I recommend our employer to someone else? Um, so I think there's valid things we measure underneath engagement. But what does it mean to be engaged? Yeah, I, I think the thing that's really coming out with this, and it, and it has done when you and I have spoken in the past about it, is that the trouble is with things like empowerment, imposter syndrome, engagement, they're quite surface level. And people can jump to want to have really quick answers to those, whether they are, they're not, whatever. Yeah. Whereas you were saying, and you, you apologise for going deep on the implant word, but actually I'm really glad you did because it was fascinating. When you, what, what, we, what we all need to do, what organisations need to do is go deeper on the words in terms of uh, what is that really about? Not just yeah. like, when I get a service measurement of, how engaged people are, but more, I guess, again, in a way, Dawn, it, uh, and you and you very much relate to this from a research or whatever kind of angle, it, it, it's moving from the quantitative to the qualitative, isn't it? Yes. The, the, the real richness is in looking at the qualitative side of it, not the quantitative, but people want to measure and, and you know, yeah. look at the quantitative side because they want quick solutions and quick answers and quick, you know, things to be demonstrated quickly, whereas actually... Yeah. The richness is in the qualitative approach, and, and I think that's possibly why it's missed, really. It's like we have, like, to use your engagement thing, like where I used to work, you have quarterly, you can have quarterly engagement scores, and managers will get very excited about what we're going to do about the engagement scores this quarter so that we can improve them next quarter, as if the, the engagement score is a doing task thing and it's not it's a being feeling yeah, thing yeah. do i want to be here <laughs> um oh be, being versus doing yeah that's yeah. A, yeah it's a great way of describing i mean it. there are things you can do i'm not saying i'm you know there are definitely things you can do in order to improve engagement um but it's just, it, it, like you say, it's that quick fix of, of what we can do rather than the richness that sits in qualitatively what's going on. Yeah. No, I love it. No, brilliant. Thank you, Dawn. Okay, then we'll listen. We've, um, we could go on for a long time, but I really appreciate you sharing time to share your experiences and thoughts. It's been, it's been really fascinating. If people want to find out more about you, Dawn, Where's the be- how's the best way for people to connect with you and find out more about you if they want to um, yeah. connect, have a conversation with you, find out more? I'd love to. Um, so I am uh, on all social medias as Dawn Rare. You'll, you'll just find me as Dawn Rare. And that's W-R-A-Y. Just that's for... right, yes. For those of a certain age, same as Faye Rare from King Kong. Um we have a website, thelisteningcollective.org. Um, or I'm happy to get emails. Email me or start a conversation that way. Yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed just clicking around some stuff with you. So if people want to engage in some of these conversations, I'd love to. And your email address is? It's dawn at thelisteningcollective.org. Yeah, okay. Hey, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I think... Um, 
going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning of this, I think, I don't know about your view, I, I think this could open up more over the next few years, really, that um, more open-minded view of uh, what therapeutical approaches can actually bring to individuals, to organisations, yeah. rather than getting bogged down in the stigma of the use of word therapy, counselling, yeah. whatever it might be. Uh, because I think if people do open up to it, there's a hell of a lot to be gained from it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. More in a, uh, in, a, in a bigger and longer-term way for, for yeah. people. Um, Maybe just the word to end with is fixed. Like, none of us yeah. are fixed. Whether we like it or yeah. not, we're not fixed. You know, life moves on. Things change all of the time. We're not fixed. And that's good because the bad things aren't fixed either. You know, everything is can be changed but for, and for yeah. me therapy is about the flow and unfixing you know, and moving how we move with rather than being in a fixed place yeah yeah and i guess it's that using your words as well we can all move into places where we get a bit more stuck or unstuck and that will always put on the journey oh, of yes. life yeah. and yeah and we we unstick one bit and there's another bit gets a bit stuck and <laughs> Never, we never, as well as not being fixed, we're never finished, are we, doing so? No, we're never finished. Yeah. Oh, well, listen, brilliant. Thank you ever so much for um, appearing on the Leadership Mindset series. And thank you for giving people pointers to where they can find out more about you, Don. All right. Really good to see you. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.